Welcome to another session of Things That Matter. My guest today is Carlos Patterson. When I first met my guest, Mr. Patterson, I met him at a function at the Borough Hall. Um, we talked about his work as a real estate consultant and also the wonderful work that he's doing with um, the children at his nonprofit, uh, the Super Smart Enrichment. Yes. Uh, I later learned that Carlos had started out on a new venture as a health coach. Yes. And so knowing that he has children's interests in mind, I was curious to find out what he thinks about some of the issues that are surrounding getting children to eat healthy today. Carlos, welcome. Thank you for ha having me, uh, Dr. Delson. I appreciate the uh, coming in today. Thank you very much. Um, I was just about to say that you move from real estate uh, consultant to a health coach is really, really different because health has nothing to do with real estate. But I realize that that's not actually true. <laughs> not entirely. Um, health isn't in all we do. Um, th there's no health without wealth. Yes. I would say, you know, you can have everything, but you can't purchase health. Um, it's something that you have to be active with. So to me, health is a lifestyle. Um, real estate consulting is my profession. And um, just that being a part of my lifestyle, the transition or the addition was very easy um, to my life. I was actually thinking in terms to of one's environment where one lives. So, you know, in terms of real estate. And I know that many times we've had cases where people have complained about dump sites affecting their standard of living. So I was kind of making that connection there in terms of Yes, of course, you know, um, we, when we talk about the areas of the dump sites and the constru construction or rehabilitation capacity of real estate, and you're always cognizant. Um, I, I see now uh, de Blasio's administration is being slammed um, by housing projects like Red Hook for the lack of attention to asbestos and things that are affecting their kids, um, their seniors and, and themselves. Um, so I think health is... It's not trendy. It's just something that's always going to be there. And if we're not cognizant or we tend to put our heads in the sand about it, it that's not going to make it go away. What actually motivated you to become a health coach? Uh, a health coach. Well, it's, it's funny because every time I say health coach, everyone's like, what is a health coach? And they get all these things that they think it is. Uh, so I, I guess I'll start off with explaining what a health coach is. Okay. Um, a health coach starts, is basically a life coach with the focus on a healthier version of yourself um, through healthier living and healthier choices in your life. Um, it's very tied into the psychological, not just the physical aspect of your life. Um, and a health coach basically is a master at habit changing. So allowing you to make seamless, better choices uh, when it comes to decisions in health, uh, decisions with food choices, and uh, just daily living without beating yourself down or feel like you're doing something wrong every time you choose not to eat the carrot or the potato chip. So it's just making constant, healthier choices in your life that becomes unconscious. And uh, I guess you can call me Mr. Accountability when it comes to uh, a health coach.
this uh, leads well into my next um, uh, question and statement. Um, back in 2014, Michelle Obama uh, launched the Let's Move program, a public health um, program, basically focusing on addressing childhood obesity and um, trying to promote more healthy eating in terms of um, uh, getting children to eat more healthy. And this program basically found its purchase via the USDA guidelines for things like the salt and the fats and the, you know, what, what kids should be eating in terms of school lun lunches. Um, but of course, there were some stakeholders, for instance, you know, some of the Republicans um, complained that these standards were too restrictive and they were, uh, they felt that that was government intrusion, <laughs> right? Um, um, now, I know that the present administration went and uh, made some changes <laughs> in terms of, well, in terms of the sodium, the, the schools do not have to actually make any changes to the sodium intake right now until 2019. But they made changes that allowed schools to basically have um, fewer, uh, provide fewer um, grains, whole grains for, for, for school lunches. And then now also they can have like 1% fat milk, I think. One, yeah, they have 1% milk. So my question for you is twofold. One, do you consider these kinds of um, um, rules, guidelines to be intrusion, an intrusion into, um, I suppose, children's lives, or uh, intrusion into um, the school's authority to make decisions? I think intrusions are okay if it's wrapped with caring. It is, it is very clear that uh, from the, the Republican standpoint, uh, the new legislation sorry, that was put through uh, was more on the consensus of um, with the aid of certain, let's just say, milk lobbyists um, that are paying for certain things to stay as they are. Um, so it, you, you don't feel the care. What mo the initiative that Michelle Obama put forth, it was definitely infused with caring. And when we care about something, when we feel a part of something, then you make more cognizant and detailed decisions. You look at the old food plan with the new food plan, and there are some very clear distinctions um, that even my five-year-old daughter could definitely see. Um, when you start to detail and outline something as they're doing now with the amount of consumption that should be happening with each food group, um, it makes it more uh, cookie cutter, laid out, and, and easier for uh, those that help it trickle down at the base level, which are the food processors, those individuals that serve our children and the schools. Um, Oh boy, where, where do I start? Because with each uh, group, you know, with the, the fruit, for, for example, um, I mean, before they were allowing kids to just have a half a cup of fruit and vegetables together. Um, and that, you know, when we put into the idea that, are we, are we talking about children, our future, or are we talking about cattle? You know, when we're talking about our children, our, our future, then these school lunches are directly tied into their cognitive abilities to perform. 
And we have a responsibility if we're talking about a learning institute, the Department of Education, um, that it's state supervised and, and also receiving federal funding, then we also have to take responsibility to what they're, what we're putting in their environment between that seven and a half to eight hours that they're in school. And a balanced meal is very, very important. Uh, Berkeley College uh, has New York Times articles, good research with diet and uh, the ability to perform on test scores. I mean, there are countless research around the country. Uh, we're, we're seeing model schools that are focused on balanced meals that are focusing and exceeding these new standards um, that Michelle Obama has put forth and that directly related to their test scores going up, uh, more graduation rates in their high schools. Um, so, yes, I, I think that the exemptions that they put in place to uh, pretty much allow schools an out for doing the things that they know is necessary for our kids uh, to receive a balanced meal um, is, is horrible. And I, I don't think there's any other word to put in place because a good percentage of the kids that eat these lunches need them. Or, you know, there is a very, very large amount of them, I know here in the New York City area, that that is the most complete meal that they may receive for a hardworking parent that's probably not going to get home till 6, 7, 8 o'clock at night to try to put something together for them or give them money to go get some fast food. So it is very important that we be productive and not counterproductive to where we're trying to go uh, with our future. Especially to um, the large majority of these kids, especially here in New York City, uh, from um, poor um, communities Absolutely. and Absolutely. they are known to not perform a lot of the schools that they go to are known not to perform very well so the cognitive the importance of the cognitive piece uh, in terms of how it relates to how they eat is, is as Absolutely. you mentioned very important yes. um, so you mentioned um, you know the fruits and the vegetables um, another set of stakeholders also who you know um, had something to say about the <laughs> the rules being so strict are the kids themselves because the sports said that the kids themselves did not eat the food, um, they didn't, they, it didn't taste well. Yes. So I, I have uh, this question for you. First of all, did you eat your vegetables when you were growing up? Yeah, but it started at home. You know, I'm, I'm from a southern household, so collard greens, spinach, and all those things were huge in my household. Uh, it was kind of regular. And uh, I... I guess I can say now, looking back, I was lucky to have a balanced meal. And um, it's funny because I don't think my mom was completely cognizant of what she was doing. It was just tradition. And as I got older, the, the extra salts that were put in the food, I started to eliminate. And I think that's kind of where we are now, with the kids uh, not enjoying it. It's not palatable for them. Um, because now today in our society, everything is sugared down and salted down. Um, when I'm in Europe, you, you barely see the mention and the usage of butter. Um, you're, they're using olive oil just because we love that yellow color. And the uh, tradition of it and the industry, this dairy industry, um, that we can kind of do without. Mm -hmm. You know, when, when you think about the dairy industry coming about, you know, 
up to 3,000 years in human history, and before that we were pretty much getting all that we needed without um, the cow milk, uh, without the butters, and so on and so forth. So, you know, with our kids, I think we should stay steady with it, because with the elimination of it, um, over time, nothing's going to change immediately. But over time, with eliminating your choices, I actually just read an article from the Times that stated that um, they gave the kids choices. Choices is a beautiful thing. We took the healthier choices for free, and the non-healthier choices they had to pay for. And over time, these kids started to transition more to the healthier choices, whether it was just to save money, or it could have been that their palate is actually developing to more healthy choices. So you're saying that basically there's a connection between what happens in the home in terms of how kids are brought up in terms of health and the connection with school. So they're saying that the school lunches, you know, they don't taste good, but it's because of the experience that they have at home. Absolutely. It's significantly important. What about those parents say that, you know, they can't afford to eat uh, particularly healthy by more fruits and vegetables because these fruits and vegetables are expensive so they don't you know they, they prefer to buy junk because it's it's cheaper well you know the funny thing is to that is the uh if we're talking about the poor population of parents not middle class or lower middle class but if we're talking about the poor if we're talking about those that receive governmental assistance well now a couple of years ago working with the uh, usda uh, the EBT cards, the food stamps, the governmental assistance have been now linked to our farmers markets to where they're now able to receive these amazing fruits and vegetables uh, with the government assistance um, that they receive. And this has been like a, a, an amazing thing. Uh, it is only my, you know, I, I don't understand why the DOE has not worked out something very similar to that to be infused within our school systems uh, because it's very cost-effective and, and will be helping so many all at the same time in the same breath. Um, so I think the big thing for parents is education. As a parent myself, of course, we don't want more work. Oh my God, we, we share the sheer side of knowing we have homework, we have this, we have conversation with the kids, all these things we have to do. Now we have to add this extra component. So I think the teamwork between the school system, the administration, uh, the amnesty from the federal government, you give aid and you allow the schools and the administration in the state to govern themselves when it comes to this issue. And um, we, we have to make it easier for the parents. Let's send out blogs to them. Let's send out weekly recipes, uh, easy do-it-yourselves. Uh, let's add workshops for after school, free nonprofit workshops. And once they attend these workshops, they leave with uh, a bag of vegetables and fruit or something like that. These are the, the things we can do to change the culture. You know, it is it's not a guess that, you know, I, I life, I average life expectancy here in America is about 70 years old, where you look at countries like Japan and it's clearly 83. But, you know, you look at why and the culture of eating is, is entirely different. And um, when you look at our American school system, lunches is deplorable to other countries that are much poorer than ourselves. Um, I also wanted to 
ask you about the whole issue of, uh, you, s you touched on it, about flavored foods versus, versus unflavored foods. As a health coach, you know, I'm able to explore the, the why behind the reason of why you want to, you're eating this way, your eating patterns. Um, and in doing so, it, you know, I definitely have more of an understanding when it comes to um, the history, the psychological aspect of why people always feel like, you know, eating good is probably not the best tasting aspect of it. There's always a misconception. And now there's been such a strive for cooks and health enthusiasts to uh, make food taste better. But does that mean that the food that tastes better is better for you? Absolutely not. Well, I mean, what happens is with a lot of our trans fats and our sugars, the body craves these things. Okay, these are our comfort things that the body craves. Um, when we talk about our flavored versus unflavored, our when, you know, the clear distinction between the two is sugar. Okay, so that additive of sugar, which your body naturally craves, um, when it's in balance. Uh, an unbalanced body craves salts and sugars. Um, it's just a natural, a natural effect, a natural thing. And when we start to equalize and get that perfect homeostasis of our system, a nice equal base um, of where I, our body system should be to aid in our metabolism, then we don't crave as much sugar. So when you're craving sugar, uh, you know, let's just say, I, I mean, I got a bunch of sisters and, and when women have that time of the month and they say, oh, I need a piece of chocolate. Part of that is because that unbalance in the system. And another part of that is psychologically, it's comforting to them and they're looking for a comfortable place where if they were taught to substitute that comfort by something else, um, then that, that could be so. So a lot of it is education. Um, educating on uh, comfort food, uh, representation of food. Um, am I eating for survival? Am I eating for fuel? Or am I eating for comfort? Or am I being glutton about it? Or am I eating responsibly? So the education of how we eat, what we eat, is direly important because now the awareness and the care levels go up and uh, we're, we're a lot more cognizant. But when we deal with the issue of flavored and unflavored, it definitely has to deal with the salt content. And the same thing with the non-fat versus the fat-free and your 1% and all of that. Um, yes, we're eliminating fats, but we're injecting more sugar. So we're taking our trans and saturated fats, but we're putting in so much sugar. And we all know that if the body spends more time breaking down complex sugars, then it's spending less time with the blood to the brain to actually do the cognitive learning that needs to happen. This reminds me also of the, um, what is called uh, the SMAT snacks regulations. Mm -hmm. I think that was passed. Yeah. and. Uh, basically, again by the USDA, yeah. saying that you know, this is a these are the kind of things that schools can have for snacks, especially if they're sold um, what they call a la carte or in school stores or yes. vending machines and things yes. like that. But this does not include um, snacks when classes have birthday parties, holiday celebrations, or snacks 
um, in the classroom. Like I remember the teaching, I would see kindergartners have snacks every day. And uh, it was somewhat appalling because every day um, kids would have, let's say, one of those um, Lay's potato chips. And when you look at the sodium content in that potato chips, that's every day they're eating that, 365 days of the year, basically. And so, you know, what's happening to those, those kids? But again, this law, um, the smart snacks, it does not, um, you know, deal with those kind of issues. What could schools actually do to encourage the parents? You said education. You mentioned a couple things. But here's a question about this, though. And this is something that I've come across. Parents themselves, going back to what the Republicans talked about, government intrusion, feel like this is an intrusion in the affairs. And oftentimes, you know, teachers have a difficult time because the parents would respond something like, you can't tell me how to train my kids, you can't tell me how to deal with my child. Well, uh, there, there's so many facets to that because is it an intrusion if one in, a, in five kids are now obese? You know, is it intrusion if now the juvenile diabetes rate has now risen uh, where our kids are getting the level of adult diabetes now um, I, I mean when do we insert ourselves and how because now it's it's becoming a word that we all fear which is epidemic so now we're getting to epidemic proportions that we never really had before kids are less active kids can't ride bikes on sidewalks all these things, these laws and changes that we're putting in place, there are more video game play, there's less sports activity. Now on the flip side of that, we have more junk food. So we have more sitting down, we have more consumption of things that are not good for us, um, and less physical activity. We have more technology. Technology by definition makes life easier for you. So we physically work less. Okay, um, and we're, we're eating worse. So where do we insert ourselves? When, when do we intrude? You know, uh, I think schools have to understand that they do have power. And they're as powerful as now Snapple has. If you look on those Snapple bottles, they have added the, the two words that they think will make everything right, which is all natural because the power of them being taken out of vending machines because of their sugary, um, uh, the sh sugar content in past years, now they want to keep that base. They want to stay in those vending machines in the schools, so they made the necessary changes to get back into the schools as of many snacks. The same thing happened with General Mills with their cereals. They went right back to whole grain initially starting with whole grain years decades ago it was more cost effective for them to move away from it they now went back to fully fledged whole grains and now they advertise that because the conscious state that a lot of people are in today about their health so the schools have to understand when you put out a mandate okay and you say no and you say okay this is our mandate uh just as so where you can't come for a birthday party with candles because it could be a hazard, smoke alarms go off, so on and so forth. We're going to put a mandate that uh, you, can, you can bring things, but we have kids that may have allergies now to 
to certain sugars and so on and so forth because the rise of allergies have increased and that is because of weaker immune systems. Um, but if we put these certain mandates in our school systems, then it becomes law and it becomes a culture of change that parents of some are not going to embrace right away, some are going to appreciate. Um, I know my mom who's also an educator and she, you know, she's always forcing kids to and trying to educate them on um, eating healthier. Um, it's very, very important um, for her. And she'll have parents ask her, how did you get my kid to eat this? And she said, I eliminated the choice that they couldn't. And I helped them to understand what this would do for their body. So kids at the very tender ages of, you know, six and seven years old, understanding what it did for their body. I mean, come on. I, I ate spinach because Papa ate spinach. <laughs> so even our cartoons have changed. <laughs> so, so we these things were inserted into our lives um, and earlier, and it, it just it comes full circle on what we're introducing to our children and creating a network between the schools, the parents, and the administration to work together because who we're doing it for. To me, that's the important part. You know, you not having bringing a cake to school uh, with certain uh, nuts or things on it because now the push for food allergies is humongous. So they don't even allow nuts inside the school. Could we be a little bit more cognizant about sugar? I think we can. So, you know, we're dealing with issues. When I was young, I heard allergies were, were something that was kind of foreign. Uh, and it was very rare. For children to have allergies when I was going to school. So now it's become uh, the norm. And, you know, all that, you know, the, the school has started to change its face when it comes to allergies. I'm sure we can do the same with sugar consumption. Well, Carlos, um, I thank you so much for taking the time to, yes. to talk, yes. <laughs> to, to join my show today and talk about this. Um, situation, which I think is, you know, extremely important. Vitally. And um, I wish you the very best on this new adventure of yours. Oh, <laughs> I really appreciate it, I must say, um, just being able to help people see a better version of themselves uh, through awareness of their health. Um, it's, it's been such a pleasure. It's something I definitely would do as long as I'm here on this earth. Once again, thank you so much. Thank you for joining another session of Things That Matter. Be sure to join in next time.